Welcome to Sarian Strategic Partners Podcast, a podcast focused on pre-transaction planning strategies and commentary for founders, entrepreneurs, and executives. Our team's mission is to help ensure that you obtain the maximum net value from your life's work. We work with you to develop pre-transaction planning strategies to help position you for personal financial success by identifying key tax, estate, and gifting issues prior to a sale or exit of your company. I'm your host, Greg Sarian, CEO and founder of Sarian Strategic Partners. Well, thank you uh, for taking a few minutes out of your day to join our webinar on key mistakes to avoid as your company is entering a transaction, whether that's an IPO or a sale or a merger or an acquisition. We're going to hopefully share some really important ideas for you to consider uh, to help you get a better outcome. Uh, My name is Greg Sarian. I'm the CEO and founder of Sarian Strategic Partners. And joining me are my partners, Ray Baraldi and Morgan Buswell. Ray is our Director of Financial Planning, a CFP and attorney, and Morgan is our Director of Communications. So we want to start by saying uh, thank you for taking some time out of your day, and we hope that you take some some really good content uh, away from the discussion today. This is our team. Uh, We're 14 people in Wayne, and we serve founders, executives, entrepreneurs whose companies may be going through a transaction and who are looking to derive the best outcome from the equity and keep more of what they have built. Much like an investment banker shepherds the entity through a transaction and makes sure all the I's are dotted and T's crossed, we work with the individual executive to make sure that they're proactively being brought ideas around tax and estate and gifting strategies to again increase their outcome at the close. So Ray and I are going to speak and go over these seven mistakes, and uh, please feel welcome to use your chat feature. If you have any questions, anything that comes up, we want to make this uh, a good a good use of your time. So why today? Why is this topic so important, especially now as we're seeing a flurry of activity around potential tax reform? So our group has had the privilege of serving founders and executives through more than 100 transactions. That includes IPOs, sales to private equity, sales from private equity, strategic acquisitions, and and everything in between. And one of the things we continue to observe is that the leadership team is so focused on the company's outcome, the entity outcome, that just given the pace, and for those of you who have gone through a transaction, you know those last five yards getting over the goal line uh, are are the most challenging. And what we often see is lack of attention and focus on their own personal circumstance because they're so focused on the company's outcome. And so uh, some interesting statistics that that are on your screen, the Exit Planning Institute did a survey a couple years back of of founders and owners of of private companies. And what they learned was that more than 76% we're counting on a transaction of their company to provide and support their financial independence in, in retirement. More than half of them plan on that event occurring inside of three years, but fewer than 80% uh, actually had an actual plan, a written strategy on how they were going to accomplish that goal. 
The same we see with stock options. Uh, here's a, some data from Charles Schwab, and they're a large provider of stock em employee transactions. And many, over 77 employees, really wait un until their options are about to expire before they do anything because there's lack of a holistic strategy. And so what we've identified are some really key things for you to consider whether that transaction is, is three months or 30 months away. This is so important now because the tax rules in our view are very likely changing and, and not for the better, of course. So here is, this is so fluid, you know, literally as we speak at the end of September, this could look, this could look very different uh, by late October or November. What we know today is the top income rate will likely go from 37 to 39.6. And the number being uh, discussed is around $400,000. We believe the capital gain rate, uh, which is right now at 20% plus the Affordable Care Act 3.8%. We don't think that's going to end up at 39.6. The latest bill is around 25%. Then the estate and gift tax exemption, which is 11.7 million. And that was set to sunset at the end of 2025 and go to 6 million per person. And the, the bill being put forth is to pull that expiration back to the end of this year. So again, these changes in our view make planning even more important. And what we have found is if an entrepreneur and executive can just carve out a little bit of time now in advance of a transaction to put some of these ideas and concepts in, into place, uh, it, it does often net a better outcome for them. So we're gonna walk through some of these mistakes with you. The first one, and we're going to go in descending order, is not really understanding what your company is worth. I know, Morgan, you had a you had a point that you wanted to put out on this one as well. Sure. Just um, to kick off the first uh, point, Greg, you know, can you emphasize why it's really important to have and maintain uh, an accurate valuation of your company? Yeah. So there's a couple reasons why we think it's so important that you maintain, at least on an annual basis, a solid understanding of what the company is worth. And the first is simply exit readiness. Uh, as many of you are aware, sometimes a deal comes to you when you're not necessarily looking for a deal, or sometimes there'll be an environment of multiple suitors. And so, so we think it's important from establishing a basis upon which to calculate like your capital gains and what your tax liability is. It's important to always understand what is the true fair market value of your company. This is also really important as it relates to estate and wealth transfer planning. And we're gonna talk about this in a few more minutes, but you know, when you ask a lot of executives of early stage companies, what is your equity worth? They really don't know. They, they know they may own or two or three or 5% of the company or all of the company, but they're not really sure from a fair market value perspective, what does that represent? And do they have an estate tax issue? So, so simply from, from a tax and estate planning point of view, having that knowledge is critically important. Also from a gifting perspective, uh, we're gonna talk about in a few minutes how it can be very beneficial if you're providing assistance for loved ones using shares of your company to, to gift to them rather than cash can provide some liquidity uh, and get that tax liability occurring in their bracket. One tool that we're big fans of, we'll just give a shout out for a local firm called Biz Equity. Uh, they've got a web-based tool that we have access to that, that can really provide a very solid valuation of the business. This is something, too, that's really important. A 409A, it's a document provided by a third party. 
And these are generally M&A advisory firms that do this or some accounting firms. And this determines the fair market value of your common stock, your options. And these are generally updated when fundraising rounds occur. So really important to have an up-to-date 409A uh, at your disposal. So going off of this, Greg, um, you know, there's a lot of different forms of equity compensation. So maybe can you talk to each one of these and really kind of get into the differences and kind of from a perspective of an executive, what they should know and why each of these are really important? Yeah. It's a great question. And one that, again, you'd be surprised um, how many how many executives don't really understand the nature of the equity. They may understand the percentage but exactly what that's composed of. So there are four that we're used to seeing. And the first, and frankly, the most advantageous is pure common stock. Pure common stock is most easily taxed as long-term capital gains, which based on the slide I just showed you, uh, has always been more preferentially taxed. And even if these new tax changes go through, still is more preferentially taxed rather than ordinary income. So common equity, if you're in any form of negotiation with a potential company to join them, common equity is the best equity to have. The other two are stock options. And there are two forms of stock options, incentive stock options and non-qualified stock options. The key is the tax treatment upon exercise. Incentive stock options are the most advantageous types of options because you can exercise them, which means you acquire the ownership and there's no immediate tax liability. And if you hold those options two years from grant date, one year from exercise, all that appreciation from the exercise price to the sale price is taxed as a long-term capital gain. Versus non-qualified stock options, when you have an NSO and you exercise it, whether you exercise and hold it or exercise and sell it, that price difference between grant price and exercise price is taxable to use ordinary income, even if you don't sell it. Then the future appreciation from exercise to sale, if it's held more than 12 months, is long-term capital gain. The last and a fairly common form of equity compensation are restricted stock units or RSUs. RSUs, uh, are there, there is no opportunity to convert them they are uh, an equity that, that is awarded with a vesting schedule. And when the RSU vests, it's taxable as ordinary income. And then those shares appear in um, some type of account. And then and only then from that point forward is any future appreciation taxed as a capital gain. So in that respect, it's like an NSO in terms of the unavoidable incomes tax treatment. But if it's held, future gain is taxed as long-term gain. So one of the things that's really important that we urge executives to do, even before you sign on to a company, uh, but once you do, make sure you and your advisors read your equity plan agreement. Whether it's an option agreement, an RSU agreement, a common stock agreement, that's gonna go over the really important terms of your ownership, transferability, taxation, a key document to have for your planning team. Switching over to our next point, risk. So. Concentrated risk can often complicate a transaction. So, Ray, can you maybe touch on risk at both an entity and a personal level and kind of why that's important? Yeah, sure. When we think of entity or enterprise, 
concentration risk. You can see that in a variety of different ways. One would be your client base is a very specific market segment, um, or you only have one or two clients and they really drive revenue for you. And, and a majority of your revenue is derived from you know a very limited number of clients, or you have a very limited number of vendors. Essentially, a single point of failure uh, could lead to you know dramatically decreasing revenue for a company or, or you know loss in a devastating fashion. Uh, what we see at the personal level with concentration risk, you know, we're thinking of equity, whether that be stock options or equity in the company, and that being a very large portion of someone's net worth. And the value of their net worth is largely tied to or very closely correlated with uh, the rising and, and falling of that underlying equity of either the company they own or the stock options uh, for the company that they work with. And what you would like to see in, in either area is diversification, right? In, with it, at an enterprise level, from a revenue standpoint, diversification of your product lines, of your client base, of the market segment. And then also from a personal level, you would like to see diversification uh, in the outside portfolio to try to mitigate or limit the concentration risk that an individual has when they have a lot of their net worth is tied into just the, again, either the common stock that they own for the company they work for, or alternatively, uh, you know, just the business value itself as a, as a sole proprietor or, or in a partnership. Switching more from a team or a person dynamic, I know, Greg, we talk about this a lot, but can you just maybe touch on the value of having a qualified team um, or maybe how someone should be thinking about uh, putting together a team prior to a transaction? So, Again, when we when you think about the life's work you've put in to building an early stage company, it's all encompassing. And and for many, the transacting of that entity is the biggest liquidity event or bis, biggest monetization they'll ever realize. And so you want to make sure you're getting good advice. And the, the first thing I, I can't emphasize strongly enough is, is start sooner than later. Ideally, you want to get your advisor team put in place about 18 months before an event. You want to have huddles on a regular basis. You want to make sure you've got expertise in five important areas. The first is having a qualified M&A advisor. This is someone who's going to represent your firm. This is someone who's going to help with that 409A. This is someone who's going to have your interests and speak for you and present your company to potential suitors. Critically important on that team as they're going to help drive what that outcome looks like and, and be able to paint accurately different pictures of what different outcomes may mean. Another point we're going to touch upon in a moment. The second, having a certified financial planner, certified exit planning advisor. Uh, a good CFP, a good advisor is going to look holistically at everything. So what does that transaction mean? What does the event mean? from an income tax perspective, from an estate tax perspective, from a risk management, from an insurance perspective, from a cash flow modeling, from a philanthropic perspective, a good CFP is going to be really the quarterback back of that team, making sure that all the other advisors are providing their guidance and input as you look at different potential outcomes and really ways to minimize the tax. Having a good accountant, somebody who understands, again, the details of these equity compensation. We mentioned the nuances of common stock versus ISOs and NSOs. CPAs, very few were actually really skilled at individual tax planning of individual equity compensation. And they're the ones that can speak to uh, ways to mitigate at the entity level, especially when the equity is granted 
And I'm going to talk about that uh, in a moment. An estate planning attorney, making sure that your documents, your wills and trusts, and making sure that, that gifting strategies and putting assets in the names of other loved ones in a potentially lower tax bracket, really very important. And, and a proactive insurance advisor, because what, what we often see is that your risk management needs are going to change uh, for the better. Because when you have an illiquid asset, whether it's unexercised options or RSUs or ownership in a private company, that's where you may need life insurance and disability insurance because so much of your financial asset base is illiquid. But when you go through that liquidity event, your need for life insurance, your need for disability insurance really, really declines. And maybe it's protecting long-term care insurance if you want to make sure that your loved ones aren't bogged down if you require advanced health care. Or, or the big one that we see often overlooked is umbrella insurance. So when your asset is in a corporation, uh, you're protected from legal action individually because the asset is, is a corporate entity and it's protected by corporate shield. But when you exercise or you sell that company or sell those options, now the assets are in your name uh, or yours in your, your spouse's name or your partner's name. And it's important that you've got a layer of liability protection in the event of a personal lawsuit uh, that would step in between you and your financial assets. So again, you can't underscore enough the importance of putting that team together and putting it together sooner than later. Arguably, one of the most uh, important factors to maybe consider is prior to a transaction is tax minimization. So uh, just going off of that, Greg, can you maybe highlight some of the strategies uh, to be thinking about and their implications? Yeah. Yeah, it's the, the biggest aha moment we often see at a closing table is uh, when the accountant informs the executive entrepreneur what the tax liability is going to be. And, and here's where some very powerful strategies can be employed in advance that could yield a higher outcome. Uh, the first one that is tremendous, if you have equity subject to a vesting schedule, so maybe it's, it's private common stock or private options, there's something called an 83B election. An 83B election is literally, it's code 83B in the IRS tax code. And it's where you, in the eyes of the IRS, acquire the ownership in your company equity. And what that does is it, it gets the clock ticking for long-term capital gain treatment. So let's say you've got common stock that's subject to a five-year vesting schedule and you exercise an 83B election and acquire those shares even though, and, and say the company is acquired in year two of, of five in the vesting schedule, even though you've only held for two years, not five, if you have an 83B election, and this is important, it's got to be executed within 30 days of receiving your equity. In the eyes of the IRS, that's all treated as a long-term capital gain. So a very strong planning strategy. Um, gifting strategies. So many today, many executives and entrepreneurs are caring for adult loved ones. Maybe that's a child going to graduate school. Or maybe that's um, an aging parent who needs some financial assistance or a sibling who's having a hard time in dealing with a situation in life. And as opposed to writing a check, if you've got an equity in early stage company where the 409A is at $2 a share and you expect this to transact at $10 a share, there's there's a really powerful tax planning technique and it's, it's the 0% capital gain bracket. So if that recipient is over the age of 24 and they're single earning less than 40,000 or married earning less than 80, that's including the gain, you can give them 
up to $15,000 a year uh, of equity. And then when that transaction occurs, the tax treatment is in their lower bracket, not yours. So again, if you're caring for an adult loved one, uh, this is a very powerful way to transfer that tax liability at a much lower rate. So very powerful planning strategy. The other one is the relationship between tax planning and philanthropy. And you know, one of the things that our, our team does a lot of work in life sciences and, and what a giving industry that is, it's literally changing people's outcomes. And many of those founders and leaders are really philanthropically minded. And so if there is an entity that in a normal year, you might give five or $10,000 a year away to a nonprofit or an alma mater, uh, there are a couple of vehicles that would allow you to accelerate that deduction. The first is called a donor advised fund. So think of it like uh, a charitable waiting room. So again, my analogy, you give away $10,000 a year to Children's Hospital Philadelphia, let's say, and when your company transacts from the sale to private equity, there's going to be a seven-figure outcome for you. Uh, you could put $100,000, $200,000 in the donor advised fund, and you receive a charitable deduction that year for what you contribute to the donor advised fund. Then that becomes your funding source for the rest of your life to give to qualified 501c3s. Uh, and there's no time frame. It's it just it depends upon your lifetime. The other benefit of the donor advised fund, you can fund it with low basis security. So you get a double tax benefit. So what I mean by that is, again, you're going to fund it with $100,000. Instead of funding it with $100,000 of cash, fund it with $100,000 of securities you own outside of an IRA that maybe you spend $50,000 on. That's capital gains unrealized or $50,000, making it $100,000. The donor advised fund sells it tax-free. You get the income tax deduction for the hundred and you wash away the $50,000 of capital gains. Very powerful. Child remainder trusts uh, are another philanthropic planning tool uh, that offers some different advantages to the donor advised fund. Donor advised fund is a great tool for lifetime giving, but once you receive that tax deduction and the good feeling, of course, when you distribute those monies to the, to the nonprofit you care about, there's no longer any benefit to you. But as a funder of a charitable remainder trust, you can go back to my example of $100,000, put that into a charitable remainder trust. You get a lesser tax deduction in the donor advised fund, but the charitable remainder trust gives you an income stream for the rest of yours and your spouse's lifetime. So think of it as giving away the tree but keeping the fruit, another very significant tax planning strategy. Uh, and then the final one isn't a tax minimization strategy, it's a way it's a tax shifting strategy. So if you're a Pennsylvania resident, there's something called the Pennsylvania Employee Education Improvement Trust, EITC. And EITC allows you to redirect your tax dollars to a non-public educational institution of your choice, a private school, a parochial school, a charter school, if they're part of the EITC program, you give $10,000 through the EITC to the school of your choice. Now that $10,000, if you make a two-year commitment, is a 90% credit for those two years to your Pennsylvania state income taxes. If you make a one year, it's a 75% credit. The other 25 or 10% is a federal income tax deduction. So it allows you to redirect monies away from paying your state income tax but rather benefit an organization that you care about. And I'll just put a plug in for two that we know use the money wisely, run lean. Uh, they're the Blocks organization and the Jubilee Network. 
that have done a great job with our clients and run a very lean, lean operation. The last thing I'll talk about is wealth transfer planning. And it's interesting because the two items I'm going to mention to you are actually on the chopping block potentially with tax reform. So if you're thinking about doing either one of those, I would do it sooner than later because the opportunity may not exist. But first and foremost, make sure your basic estate planning documents are in order. Again, you'd, you'd be amazed how many executives we talk to have meaningful equity in a company and don't have the, the basic documents, a will, who gets what, power of attorney, uh, a spouse or a loved one to, to sign legal documents on your behalf, a living will, which is a healthcare directive. And if you've got minor children, a guardianship, that is who would raise your children at your demise. So these are like the, what we call the foundation of estate planning. And it's so important that you have these. But then these two others are another way to remove some of the appreciation. We typically see grats and slats when an executive has a second or a third transaction. Usually the first, they want to cover their bases, pay down some debt, secure retirement, secure education. If those things are set, then the grantor retained annuity trust allows you to put an appreciating asset outside of your estate that allows you to get some income throughout your lifetime, but now the asset's building in a trust for your children. Or the spousal lifetime access trust, again, you can put a piece of your company into a slat and, and your spouse uh, has certain income rights to that if you pass, and then it would go to your kids. So again, a couple of really important wealth transfer strategies uh, if you're transacting a growing company. I'm going to switch it back to Ray. Even with having a clear plan uh, in place, sometimes transactions can be delayed or postponed. Um, Ray, can you just speak to maybe the importance of having a strong contingency plan in place? Yes. You know, things happen in life that sometimes you can't control. And I think the big three for someone that owns a business or isn't a partner of a business on the leadership team, uh, you know, would be death, divorce, and disability. And really one thing to have a contingency plan for all of that is a buy-sell agreement. Uh, and what that is, essentially, it's a binding contract between the co-owners that control the businesses, who can sell their interest, who can buy another owner's interest, and then at what price uh, that would be sold at. So it is very helpful uh, as a contingency plan for the 3D. So if another partner of the firm passed away suddenly, uh, that spouse would be able to have you know, some liquidity from the business would be provided to her. And then similarly, if you had a divorce on the leadership team and assets were split, the buy-sell agreement uh, can actually be made in such a way that the spouse of the partner, uh, the ex-spouse, I guess I should say, would have to sell their interest that they would receive in the divorce back to the other partners so you wouldn't have a disruption there. And then similarly, if you had someone was disabled, and no longer could operate in a way that they're able to drive revenue or be a part of the leadership team, and you need to be able to provide uh, you know, some liquidity to their family, the buy-sell agreement is very helpful in, in kind of driving those three areas. So what's really important with a buy-sell agreement, it's having the contract in place is step one, but also making sure that it's funded. And the easiest way to fund it is via life insurance. So if you have a buy-sell agreement in place, but it's not funded and, and someone passes away, well, creating that liquidity to provide that other partner's family will be very difficult if you have funded it via the form of permanent life insurance. On that passing, you would receive the benefit of it, and then you would be able to pay that out 
to your partner's uh, family and, and spouse, kids, et cetera. So it's really important to be prepared, not only for when things go well, if there's an event and there's a liquidity event, and you're able to derive uh, you know, significant cash flow from that. But also if things go awry and if unfortunately someone passes away, becomes disabled or has a disruptive divorce. Um, and lastly, as we all know, sometimes life doesn't work out. Um, so when it comes to a, a transaction from an executive or founder standpoint, um, sometimes not accounting for multiple outcomes can sometimes be a, a shortfall. So Ray, can you kind of emphasize really the significance of having multiple outcomes or at least considering uh, multiple outcomes of a transaction? Yeah, running probability forecasting, you know, in our opinion is vital uh, and almost the foundation for how you should be thinking of your financial plan. Uh, you need to understand what a good outcome is going to look like to you and your family, what a mediocre outcome might look like or or a bad or no outcome. And that could be, you know, the, the company sold at $10 a share or $5 a share, or, you know, the stock price goes to zero. Um, and what does that mean? And how does that inform the amount of insurance that you need? How does that inform the amount that you should be saving for retirement? How does that inform how much you should be saving for your kids' college educations and being prepared? Oh, if we have a really good outcome and the share price goes from a dollar to $10, okay, well, I, I'll be able to pay off you know, my kid's college and just pay that out of hand. Or alternatively, hey, maybe the stock price only goes up from $1 to $3. That's great. But at the same time, I might need to work for another five or 10 years to be able to retire at age 60 or 65 or what have you. So understanding the probability of success at each different value, really, as far as what the appreciation of either the stock price would be or the business entity itself, and then being able to build and tie in, you know, how much life insurance do you need? How much disability insurance do you need under all these different scenarios? And being able to prepare for what could be good, what could be, again, mediocre, or what might be a no or bad outcome. And that is just so vital to be able to kind of close up some of those gaps that exist when you're a high-level executive or you're a business owner and you're running around 100 miles an hour. There's times when maybe you don't have enough life insurance or you don't have enough disability and just being able to go through this process, understanding where you stand as far as your big picture goals, when you want to retire, on how much, do you want to pay for your kids' college education, et cetera, and what needs to be done or what you need to derive out of the business or the stock to be able to accomplish that. And having that information and having that understanding really prevents you know, some potential uh, pratfalls down the line. So that concludes our presentation. I want to say thank you for taking a few minutes out of your afternoon to join us. And we've got a couple resources we'd be happy to make available to you. We actually created a white paper with detail on each of these seven mistakes where we go into much more detail than we just had time to cover in the Zoom today. So if you would like a copy of the white paper where we cover each of these seven areas, the do's and don'ts, please send us an email. Uh, and we're happy to do that. We also have a tool that we created using Monte Carlo simulation probability forecasting, uh, and we call it our pre-transaction assessment tool. Uh, it's about seven or eight, nine questions that would take you probably 10 or 15 minutes to answer. And then we give you uh, a score on, on each of these different areas, on tax minimization, on wealth transfer planning, on risk management, based on your exit readiness. And that's something that we found really helpful 
for, for executives when they are, you know, whether it's three months or 30 months away from a transaction so that your ducks are in a row to put yourself and your family in a position to have the greatest outcome from this, uh, from this event. So thank you all for your time. And again, if you'd like to email or the readiness tool, email us at ssp at hightoweradvisors.com. That's ssp at hightoweradvisors.com or shoot me a message on LinkedIn uh, and we'll be ha- happy to send it to you. Thank you. Strategic Partners is a group of investment professionals registered with Hightower Securities LLC, member of FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analyses, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. Sarian Strategic Partners and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no express or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data or other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date reference. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of Sarian Strategic Partners and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates.